What's happening, everybody? Nitsan Mosri here, the traveling investor, and welcome to another session live Q&A of the Traveling Investor Show. I'm Nitsan Mosri, your host. And you know, we're born into our families, and we're born into our society, and we're born into our parents' financial reality. However, what most people don't understand is that just because we're born into a specific family or socioeconomic world, that doesn't mean that's where we have to end up. You know, being poor, being born poor isn't your fault. Dying poor is. And a majority of people live life by default. They accept the cards that they were dealt and offer no resistance to mediocrity. You know, I thought that my fate was to, uh, was to die poor. However, you know, um, I thought that was written in stone, but I learned that it's up to me. And there's a great saying, if it is to be, it is up to me. So, you know, here on the Traveling Investor Show, we talk about how to live life on your terms and create the life, finances, relationships that you only dream of. So join me, Nitsan Mosri, your host, every week on the live Traveling Investor Show where we demystify the art of mastering your mind, body, and wallet so that you can be at every softball game and so that you can go on vacation and tell your boss to go kiss your ass. This is the show where it happens, where you're going to learn how to do that. And I bring you guests upon guests that help us achieve massive success and learn how to master your mind, body, and wallet. And today I was going to have, um, she may still be on the show, uh, but her name is Jillian Sedoti. And just to give you a little bit background on who she is, um, she may show up a little late. Uh, Jillian Sedoti is an attorney, speaker, entrepreneur. She's a mama. She's a former college professor. And she's forever, forever focused on finding the best and least challenging path for entrepreneurs to find funding for their deals. Jillian has written equity and debt offerings for all kinds of industries, including real estate, biotech, film, software, alcoholic beverage, cannabis, and green technology. Jillian's client list includes Grant Cardone, Than Merrill of AEs Flip This House, Tarek El Musa of Flip or Flop, David Gross, Bigger Pockets, Institute Biologics, and Biolife 4D, to name just a few. Jillian is the author of The Crowdfunding Myth, Debunking the Myths Surrounding crowdfund Crowdfunding. As a public speaker, Jillian often offers fun and relatable content that leaves the audience with a deeper understanding of the legalities of and the psychology behind raising capital. Her signature talk, Private Money Rockstar, draws from Jillian's previous experience in the music industry with the intention of empowering the entrepreneur to be a money-raising rock star. Jillian is the founding partner of Crowdfunding Lawyers LLP established in 2014 and Crowdfunding Lawyers LLP clients have gone on to raise over $4 billion in capital. Jillian has three amazing little boys, Tyler, Tommy, and Nicola, and an amazing husband, Derek. So that's who is going to be on the show this week. Uh, a lot of times people have last minute, um, last minute things. Oh, there she is. Oh, 
There she is. She's probably having a little technical difficulty. Hey, Jill. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Hi. Uh, I don't know why, but I can't get this on my computer. So unfortunately, I'm on my phone. But here I am. <laughs> All right. Well, we got we got you as a as a bunch of lines going across. So that's fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Let me see if I can. Um, I I tried getting on my um, computer with this and it wouldn't work. So now I'm on my phone. So I apologize to everyone. I know how these things go. They go live and that's never um, great. You know, <laughs> just no for a while no. when you're going live. <laughs> so, um, but thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on. I know you're super busy. I was just, I just finished reading your bio and telling all of our listeners uh, about you uh, and, and what you do and, you know, the different clients that you've had, you know, uh, going from uh, Grant Cardone to Than Merrill to all these huge organizations and how you've um, helped so many people raise capital for different ventures and different opportunities on many different niches and different um, industries. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. So is raising capital the same process and the same idea with different um, industries or do we have, or is there different for different industries, different ways of raising capital? There, honestly, at the end of the day, everybody just wants to hear a story and they so, so in answer to your question, it's the same for everyone. P people want to hear a story. Um, and, you know, I always like to um, use as an example something really perhaps nefarious. And I, I don't know what anybody believes or what their thoughts are. But if I told you you could make, you know, 25% investment on your money and you, know, you just clean up and you're going to do great. And that means nothing to you unless I give you some context to it. And then like, well, in porn, not be ready to invest. We're having some all technical you need to focus on. Yeah, it's oh, coming in very choppy. I'm sorry. Continue. So, so you got to focus on. We heard a little bit. We had we heard something about porn. <laughs> of course, that's the only. Thing are you, you are you pitching? Are you pitching a porn project? Should, are, we, are we talking about that right now? I mean, is that where we're going? Is that where the industry is going? <laughs> Let's talk porn. I love it. <laughs> no, at the end of the day, though, you have, oh, now I'm blushing, of course, right? Of course, of course. So, no, at the end of the day, you have to tell a great story. You have to give your investors, you have to get your investors emotionally invested prior to them investing their money. You've got to get them to invest time and emotion beforehand. Like some of the best investments I've made were based on a problem I saw that needed to be solved. And the proprietor, the, the entrepreneur, the company that I was investing in was looking to solve that problem. One of my, one of my favorite examples is, um, you know, those big, huge um, laundry jugs that you get your laundry. So those technically speaking are not recyclable, right? But mm -hmm. this company I found that was looking for investors, um, 
can recycle those. They found a way to recycle those big, huge checks. So it's solving a problem. I can see the money because I can see the problem that they're solving. So when you're talking to investors, no matter what you're doing, you want to talk about the problem you're solving. So I'll, I'll give you a, a real estate example. So for example, um, right now I'm dealing in a deal that's in, um, in student housing. I've never actually done a student housing deal before. I've had to learn about student housing doing this deal. I've done a lot of multifamily. And what I learned is that, you know, there's a problem at the University of Florida in Tallahassee. And the problem is, is that they don't have enough housing. They've had uh, enrollment, record enrollment in the last year. The last year they had more enrollees than they ever have in their history. They don't have enough housing. Um, Parents need to put their kids in safe housing. I am going to solve that problem by providing student housing at the University of Florida. And so I don't have to tell you what the returns are. You can figure it out from there. Oh, absolutely. That's definitely a good story. Yeah. That's definitely a good story. So that's exactly it. And at the end of the day, you got to find the good story. Right. Right. So, you know, being that I've, I've raised capital and you've helped me with some of my uh, offerings as well. You know, a lot of people out there, you know, uh, clients of mine and, and people always ask on social media, how do you raise money? What's that? What's that one phrase? What's that one word that you're going to tell people that's going to make them give you money? How do people raise 10, 20 million dollars? What's the secret sauce? Yeah. What's what's that secret sauce? So are you asking me what the secret sauce is? Uh, I am. Yes. Cause our listeners well, are asking me and you yeah. know, I always defer to people who are smarter than me. So I'm, I'm deferring to you. <laughs> now. Time, you're pretty smart. I've seen some of your, your investor videos. You're a pretty smart guy. <laughs> so for me, the secret sauce is there is a formula to this and you never start with the returns. Um, the number one way to turn me off is to tell me about the returns before you tell me anything else. Because I'll tell you that tells the investors two things. It tells the investor that all they're concerned about is is their own self-interest and greed. And I don't want that. I don't I don't want you to think that about me. And I'm not going to invest with you if you think that's all that I care about. Oh, I'm freezing. Um, so um, that's number one. Number two is um, that you have to take them through a process. So, for example, I'll give you an example with this property in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, excuse me. It's in Tallahassee. And um, this property in Tallahassee, when I pitch it to somebody or when my team pitches it to somebody, the way they pitch it is they start with the the environment that kids need a safe place to live, that parents are very concerned about having their kids in a safe place to live. And um, that not only is they are they concerned about that environment, they want to send their kids to a university that cares about them and that has a lot of programs and <laughs> university of Florida fits all these bills and Tallahassee is a growing city. And I start, I haven't even gotten to the properties yet. I haven't told you a word about the properties. I'm taking you on an adventure. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you in to why this area, why this location, why this school, why this asset class. And then I can tell you about, here's the property and why we're going to do the property. Then I'm going to talk about what we're going to do. And then I'm going to talk about how we're going to do it. Too many people skip those steps and and they go straight to returns. 
of what's in it for the investors as opposed to going through the why, the what, the how of everything. It's, you know, I equate that to, you know, going into a bar and seeing an attractive male, female, whatever you're into at the bar and walking up to them and going, okay, when are we getting married? Exactly. That's exactly Uh, yeah let's go have some sex right now let's go back to my place right they're going oh my god what a terrible way to like get somebody into you (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the opposite that you exactly absolutely it's more of a of a of a educational process of like you said stirring up the emotions of people and showing them the story behind what it is that you like, because, you know, if, if the story is there, if, uh, if the, you know, for lack of a better example, but if the foreplay is awesome, yes, right, then, yeah. then, then the rest just comes naturally after that. And absolutely. And not only that, you know, you, you make a good point because so many investors think, or so many entrepreneurs, I'm freezing again. Sorry about that. Um, so many entrepreneurs believe that what you need to do is you just you just get a deal and then you start advertising for investors. And really what you should be doing is I don't care if you have a deal now, tomorrow or the next day, you should be looking for investors now. You should be feeding them now. The whole point is that you want to give them something before you ask them for something. Um, there's so many examples of this that I could give, but it, that's just the bottom line. If you learn something from this this interview here, you should tag this this interview. You should tag Nitsan and say, "Oh my God, Nitsan Mosery knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes to raising capital. I learned so much, or he knows so much about uh, apartments." And that gets your your crowd realizing that not only are are you in that business, but you are constantly developing your knowledge of the business mm-hmm. right that's 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 a great uh that's a great concept you know give to be able to get right correct exactly right? give before that's, you get that's right that's the way to do so so what are some of the things that 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 newbies getting involved in this industry in real estate and syndication and you know raising capital what are some things that they can give you know because when our, you know, when I was starting out and, you know, I'm looking and, you know, trying to give people some information or trying to look like the expert, I, 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 I didn't have anything. I didn't know what to right. do. What, what could people give when they're just starting out so that they can get back from their network of people? And I hate calling people investors because people think that a specific person is an investor, but mm. anybody can become an investor. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I mean, like I know, I know some really big syndicators who sometimes just get tired of finding deals or find deals in locations that they don't want to be the KP or they don't want to be the GP, and they have cash to invest. They need the depreciation, whatever it is. Um, I'm thinking of very somebody very specifically who was having a hard time finding deals in her market, and so she considered investing in other people's deals. Now, this woman was extremely well, had owned thousands of units, very, very experienced. And yet, and yet she did not want, she did not want to do her own deals. She wanted to find other people's deals. So she was looking at other people's deals. You never know who's watching you or what they're looking at. So every single time, if you're a multifamily investor, every single time you look at a multifamily deal, you should 
you should be doing a Facebook post. You should be doing a TikTok. You should be doing a YouTube video on analyzing that deal and then talk about why didn't you go into that deal? Why did you make an offer on that deal? What is that deal really worth? And you're educating the public and you're building, you're building what, what I call a no like and trust curve. You want to travel up the no and like trust curve. It, it kind of goes like this, right? It's an upward kind of sloping thing. And you want to build that no like and trust curve. And the way you can do that is the more information you put out there, the more examples you give, the more experience. People love to see real life examples. That's why TikTok is so popular right now. Um, it, so every time you do something in the multifamily industry, even if it is a failure, you should talk about it and talk about why it was a failure. Fail forward and fail forward in front of people because that is going to build your no like and trust curve. Absolutely. That's great. That's great uh, info. Yeah. Fail forward fast. I, I always, uh, <laughs> it's, it's true though, right? People get into this industry, they get into any other business and they're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of, oh, what happens if this doesn't work? What happens if that doesn't work? And they don't do anything for fear of failure. Right. Okay? We got to get yeah. over fear and just yeah. move forward and just blaze a trail, right? You know, Absolutely. I, you know, you you have three boys. I have two girls. So anybody that's had kids or was a kid once, uh, we know that we learn through failure. Mm -hmm. As a baby's yep. born, you know, they don't have control of their hands and they're trying to put their thumb in their mouth and get in their eye. They stick it in their nose or in their ear and the pudding and then they flop it all over. But eventually they figure out where the thumb goes, where the finger goes, where this goes. But it's done through failing. It absolutely is. And, and that is such a great point because um, I had a terrible fear of failure. Absolutely awful. And, and then, you know, some things happened where I realized, like, I'm actually learning from this. It's not so bad. Things are not so bad. Um, and, and actually, what really taught me that failing forward is really okay is my middle child would not do anything if he couldn't get it perfect. Mm. And it, it, it killed me to watch him doing that. It, it, it brought me to tears to watch him like not do something because he was afraid it wasn't going to be perfect. And I literally looked him in the eyes, held him by his little shoulders, kneeled down and said to him and said to him, perfection, uh, progress, not perfection, progress, not perfection. And that, I mean, gosh, you know, that's what we have to look at in, when we're in the real estate industry. I started in the real estate industry in 2005. Mm. So you guys can all do the math on that one. Okay. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I tell yeah. my daughters as well. I tell them, look, you know what? Perfection is perfection. We can, we can strive for perfection, but always know that 80% is good enough. Right? Yeah. We'll, we'll, never, right. Hit, right. we'll never hit perfection. But we want to strive wow. for it. That's where we want to go. But if I'm getting 80% of the way, that's awesome. That's way better than nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, uh, the, thing is, the thing is, and I think that comes with a lot, a lot comes with age. But uh, one of the things I do definitely wish I learned younger was to take reasonable to take reasonable risks. And, and by the way, guys, this doesn't mean you don't do analysis. We're talking about securities and we're talking about raising capital. It's a very, it's a jungle out there. Um, and uh, the SEC is no joke. Um, I've seen more, 
when you look at who the SEC goes after, they don't go after the Merrill Lynch's. They don't go to the Brett president of Merrill Lynch and, 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 and charge them. They go after the Joe Schmoes who are, you know, doing raising $900,000 or $1.5 million. The, the SEC's coffers and dockets are filled with cases like that. You are the low hanging fruit. So you do need to have some level of perfection when it comes to complying with the law, but you do not need to be perfect when it comes to looking for deals analyzing deals and putting content out there that people can learn from so you can build your no like and trust curve. Right. Well, let's, 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 let's talk a little bit about that. That's awesome. Um, so what are some of the do's and more so the don'ts of raising capital? Mm -hmm. Okay. So a big don't is to guarantee anything. I still, to this day, even after, you know, 15, 16 years of being in this industry, I still see people guaranteeing results or, you know, promising returns that are just not possible. Um, I saw a deal that had a ridiculous equity multiplier attached to it. It just, if you're doing that to attract investors, that's the wrong way to be doing things. Um, you may find that you're successful that, but that is going to run out of steam. And the minute you don't, you don't produce on that equity multiple that you promised that was mm -hmm. thin as it was is the minute you're going to lose all of those loyal investors. So yep. um, those are really the big things is just making sure you're not keeping promises that you can't actually keep. Right. Under promise and over deliver. Correct. For right. sure. Yeah, I always, whenever we look at uh, at a property and, and the numbers are like, oh, wow, this is so awesome. These numbers are great, blah, 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 blah. Like, okay, let's dial those down. Let's bring them back into reality. It's great that the property is going to throw off a 20% return, but that's not what we're going to offer our investors. No, no, yeah, that's exactly it. it it's like, it's, it's great if that's possible and that's reasonable, but you got to really also think about like, does an investor actually believe this? And if they don't actually believe this, that's a problem, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So mm -hmm. that's really something we want to be thinking about um, when we when we're looking at uh, you know what we're offering our investors. Absolutely, you know, I, I, it reminds me of it, this one story that I have. Um, a good friend of mine is one of the first people that we met when we moved to Florida. And uh, we were we we're flipping houses together. And I said, hey, you know, James, you're, you're, you're a teacher, right? He was the teacher of my kids uh, for many years. And, you know, teacher salary, 35, 40,000, maybe. So I said, listen, I said, you've got, so, you got a line of credit. Why don't we take that money? You can invest with me. We'll flip some houses and you'll make some money. In, in two or three flips, you'll make more than you made your entire year in your salary. So he did it. And we went and we did a house. And the returns were phenomenal. I told him we were going to make about 33% return on our money in six months. Oh my gosh. We sold the property in four months and we made 30% return. Oh my gosh. Great. Oh my gosh. Anybody would be like, dude, let's do it 10 times, right? But right. What, did he, what did he come to me and say? He said, didn't you say 33? Ah. I said, <laughs> yeah. But I said 33 in six months, but I gave it back to you in four months and it was 30%. He goes, yeah, but didn't you say 33? Oh, lessons learned. Oh, so my God. I learned from now on, you know, I, I will I will drop that number down because if I would have told him 25, 
and I gave him 26, 27, 30, I would have looked like you, you know, would have looked like a superstar. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> but because I told him 33 and I gave him 30, he kept asking, Yeah, but didn't you say 33? I mean, he goes, 30 is great, but didn't you say 33? I said, 30 is great. I said, 30 is phenomenal in four months. I said, if you multiply that by three, you're making 90% in one year on your money if we do that three times. Where else are you going to get that? I mean, honestly, yeah, it's just, it's just like that. And that's what I'm saying. Like I have a client, I'm actually going to switch over to my, my computer here for a second, but I was going to say, I have a client who literally told his in investors, he was going to give them 1% on their money. 1%. Now you go and, and they invested. Why did they invest? It's because he told them an amazing story that impacted their lives. And so they didn't care how much money they were going to make. They wanted to be a part of the story. Now, that's not always going to be the case. You're not always going to be able to tell such a compelling story that people are going to want to be part of it. But the thing, the, the fact of the matter was, is that he was able to do that. And he didn't hit them with the return on investment until he finished telling that story. Because if he started with, I'm going to pay you 1% on your money, people would have just left the room. They wouldn't have been sat there and listened. Right. So, you know, that's what it is. I'm coming in. I'm coming in. All right. There you are. Hey. Yay. Yay. Oh, was I, oh, my gosh. Was I showing his lines the entire time? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Because I just saw it when I walked in here. I'm so sorry, guys, everybody. <laughs> oh, it's okay. No worries. Now we get to see you. Hey. Oh, yay. I finally got technology <laughs> to be on my side. So right. keep going, Nissan. This is so much fun. So, so, okay. So telling a compelling story over promise and un, uh, under deliver. No, what is it? Over promise and under, no, under, <laughs> under deliver and over promise. Oh. Get those right. <laughs> I think we want to go the other way around on that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Under promise and over deliver. There we go. There we go. Hey, wisdom. Uh, I'm sorry guys. I, I could see myself. <laughs> You know what? As long as we, as long as people can hear the nuggets that you were sharing with us, that they can take <laughs> home and they can make it happen, that's awesome. But Do you want to know what's so funny, Nitzat? Right before I got on this this podcast, too, I told my husband, "I've got to be on time for this podcast." This gentleman had um, followed up with me multiple times, made sure I had the link. I literally made this big speech to him on how I have to be on time and prepared to go. And then it still went to hell in a handbasket. So again, guys, progress, not perfection. Right? I am the embodiment of that. And, 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 you know, and, and, and that's great. And, you know, taking that into business, any business, real estate, multifamily, whatever you shit's going to go sideways every once yeah. in a while. Right. Mm -hmm. It's how we react when yeah. when when it goes sideways, when when the market crashes, when you've got a mass eviction or, or you know a mass exit on your property. It's how we react to scenarios and to the and to the you know to the curveballs that life throws at us will determine how far we get in life, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. That's you know? exactly right. We 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 still made it happen, you know. We yeah. saw some squiggly lines. Who cares? I can hear you. You can hear me. Perfect. Let's continue. That's you know the most important thing is we can hear and get all that knowledge from you and learn from you. So you know, I'm 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 grateful that you're here today. And by the way, speaking of grateful, how was your Thanksgiving? 
Oh, it was wonderful. It was very small this year. We usually do these big, huge celebrations, but, you know, COVID. So we only had, uh, you know, about 10 people at the house, but it was wonderful. I did burn the stuffing. Not really proud of that. <laughs> Again, progress, not perfection. 80%, right? The turkey was good. The stuffing, 80% yeah. of the food was good at Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. That's great. How about you need some? Where did, what did you guys do? You're in Florida, right? Yes. Yes. So um, my mother and brother live in Miami. So they came up. We celebrated my mother's 86th birthday oh, as wow. well. So that was nice. Um, it was amazing because two years ago at that time, uh, she was in the hospital oh. uh, pretty much on her deathbed. She was oh. asking us to pull the plug at that time. It was things oh, were wow. really, really bad. Uh, she was in the hospital for about two months. And then just like that, everything cleared up, everything went away. Now she's back at home and she's, you know, still giving me shit and taking numbers and, you know, doing what she does. And it was amazing that she was able to pull out of it. You know, people from that generation, you know, from, you know, she's a Holocaust survivor. Oh my so, goodness. You know, when she was Holy a kid. Moly. So she went through a lot in her life. She was one of the first ambu female ambulance drivers and taxi cab drivers in Israel. So she's broken through a lot of the stereotypes and had a lot of shit happen to her. So wow, she, she's going to outlive all of us. She, <laughs> she's got 15 or 16 grandchildren and I think seven or eight great grandkids right now. Has anybody sat down to interview her? Like just to so interview her? I've been meaning to do that for the longest time. And, and, and I think I'm just going to hire somebody to go and sit with her and, and write down her story. Dude, um, I'll do it. That sounds fascinating. Like, really well. let's do it. <laughs> I'll come down. Yeah. But I mean, like, wow. Yeah. Don't wait either. She's 86. By mm -hmm. God. <laughs> all right. She's 86. And, 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 and she's at a point now where she's starting to give all of her belongings away to her grandkids and her children. Here, you oh. take this and you, and we're like, come on, you're not going to die tomorrow. So like, give it, you know, give it a break. Yeah. Uh, she's yeah, she's yeah, funny yeah. that way. No, she got, she got a little buzz. That, Those are huge stories. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 She, uh, she's got a lot of stories um, to tell from, you know, when, you know, when the Germans came into Romania when she was seven years old and how she had to pretend and do all these things. So, yeah, she's got amazing stories. Amazing, amazing stories. Wow. Oh, my mm -hmm. goodness. So when did she get to the. OK, I know I'm not supposed to be interviewing you, but when did she get to the United States? Uh, 1969. She was. Oh, 30... so she stayed in Europe for a while. It wasn't like well, she, she was when she was seven years old. They left Europe and they went to Israel. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. She lived in Israel and, and, and that was the thing. She was in Israel um, in 1942 before Israel actually got its independence. Oh, wow. So she okay. was in there with the British mandate and the, and the, um, and the Arab league and all that stuff. And, you know, and, and Jews were coming in from Europe and they were coming to Israel and they were building up Israel and the, the different settlements and so forth. So she was, you know, she tells a story where, you know, she's got three kids and she's, you know, walking with a stroller of three kids up the mountain, coming back, and there was no refrigerators. They had ice boxes. Oh wow! And put the ice, you know, the dry ice under it. And yeah. Was doing laundry by hand, and at eight o'clock at night, the electricity in the village would go off, and everything would go back on candles. You know, all that kind of stuff. And she tells stories of, you know, look, look at what we're doing today, right? You're in California. I'm in Boca. Yeah. Right? And we're doing this live on this technology and whatnot in you know instantaneous she tells when 
her village in Israel, they would gather at like five, six o'clock in the evening, the entire village around one radio. And they would listen to Orson Welles tell stories of like War of the Worlds and things of that. Just listening. That was then. Yeah. You know? And she tells of how they came up with these things of this machine that would take people underwater for days on end, submarines. You know, <laughs> these were, this was before submarines came out and all these different stories. And, and here she is today texting us and sending us photos on her iPhone and whatnot. So it's amazing to, for her to see the growth and technology and, and how society has, has grown and changed and done so much. So it's incredible. Let me, let me ask you a couple questions. Okay. So this is interesting to me because, you know, you said something really fascinating about just listening and I can, I can do like a, an audible, but I have to really super focus on audible. Like I have to crazy laser focus. I can't be doing anything else. Um, because if mm -hmm. I am, it's just, you know, my right. mind wanders off or whatever noise. I, I, yeah. Like, do you find that you have that same issue? Like, do you find that fact? I find that fascinating. Like they gathered around the radio because I can't, there's, it's mm -hmm. impossible for me at this point. I'm lucky I can get through one TikTok that's a minute long. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> seconds, you're just like, all right, next, next, next. Just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> no, but I'm like that. I'm, I'm the same way. I'll listen, you know, while I'm driving and I'll listen, I'll put the audible on and I'll have to rewind it like 17 times. Me too. Because, Okay. Like, what, what, what did he just say? Damn, all right, all right. And then it again, sounded like again. that was really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it takes me forever to listen to a book that yeah. I really want to, you know, not one of these novels or whatever, that's not no. important, but you know, someone that's talking about systems and processes and doing this. And then I'm like, wait, 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 I just missed that shit. All right. Go back to the last hour. <laughs> no, that was like, a. am reading, I'm doing blue ocean strategy right now uh -huh. on yep. uh, audible. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I still don't know what a blue ocean strategy is. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta rewind it. It's a great book. I read it twice. It's a great Did book. Did you really? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. I'm yeah. that, you, you've motivated me to continue on, march on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, that's great. Yeah. You know, we, we have so much to learn from, from the older generation. And I see my kids today with their phones and, and whatnot. And, you know, my, my 13 year old, every five seconds, she's picking up the phone and, and tweeting and texting and snapping. And I'm like, just put the phone down for five minutes. What's going to happen to you when you're 18, 20, 25 years old, and you've gone the last 10 years with this thing in your hand, and you can't be separated from it? How are you going to think on your own? How are you right. going to problem solve how are you going to imagine your future and create what you want it's 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 very troubling to see what what technology is doing to the youth it it is it is and also but i also say this because you know i have three kids and my six-year-old knows how to use a computer better than my husband does right mm -hmm. what bothers me is exactly what you said there's no there's no problem solving like that they have to do. But I will say this. One thing I don't want for my kids, a lot of my problem solving skills came from having to actually solve problems because my parents refused to solve those problems for me. I don't want to get into like my own personal mm -hmm. trials and tribulations, but my parents, my kids are simply not going to have those problems. Right. They're, they're not, and your kids are not going to have those problems. Mm -hmm. There's, they're not going to, they're not going to have to figure out how to take the city bus so they can work their like, you know, waitressing right. job 
in the middle of the city, right? You right. know, or whatever mm -hmm. trials and tribulations you dealt with. Um, they're That's just, right. they're simply not, they're going to get a ride. I'm going to mm -hmm. give them a ride. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I saw there's 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 a video on TikTok actually where he goes my he goes my my dad he goes my father my grandfather walked to school my dad drove rode a horse to school I drove a car my kids are gonna drive Mercedes and their kids are gonna walk to school yeah because he goes. Hard times build strong men, strong men make, or women, men and women, right? Build, yeah. build, create easy times. Easy times create weak people. Yeah, so it's that, that, no, that, it's totally cycle. true. I, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. That is, that is such wise and sage advice. And one of the things I'm doing, um, we're totally veered off topic, but it's important because I feel like, I feel like the work we do is for our kids, right? Mm -hmm. And and raising capital is about building generational wealth. I talk about why you need to raise capital so you can build generational wealth, not just for your kids, but for the, your investors' kids. Mm -hmm. and, and if you don't have kids, you don't. You, you certainly don't have to have kids to be building generational wealth. You go, well, what do you mean by that? Because you can be building generational wealth for someone in your community. You mm -hmm. can't spend it all. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to make money just for yourself, that's an empty life. You'll never you'll never achieve anything. Right. You're you're raising capital and you're building a great big business. Yes. So you can have a wonderful life, but also so you can provide for the lives around you, whatever that means to you, whether it's your own kids or somebody else's kids. The thing is, is like. And, and this is this is something I struggle with. I, I I'm going to raise cap. I'm not raising capital necessarily, but I'm. I advise people on how to raise capital, build yourselves up to generational wealth. So not so kids can drive Mercedes, but so they can be artists or humanitarians or be in the Peace Corps and not have mm -hmm. to worry about where their next meal is going to come exactly. from or whether or not they can get a hot shower or, you know, or they have to live in their car. You know, that's why we do it. And and one of the things I'm doing right now is we, we're I actually just bought a foreclosure property in Puerto Rico and we're moving to Puerto Rico. And I'm going to make those kids learn another language. <laughs> I'm going to make them learn another culture. And they're going to learn the learn why it's important. We're moving to a part of Puerto Rico that um, focuses on environmental concerns. And they're going to learn why they need to take care of the environment. And I think and I think that's my little contribution to trying to make their lives a little more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> right? They got they they got to have some struggle. Right. There's or they have to at least empathize with the struggle around them mm -hmm. enough to, to take action. Right. right. Like right. maybe they don't have to personally struggle, but they have to empathize with those who are struggling around them. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us more about this foreclosure. Are you moving to Puerto Rico for the tax benefits? Uh, well, that is one of the motivations. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that, that probably initially started the motivation and then it became more of like an adventure and a hunt. My husband, told me if you can't find a decent place for us to live, I'm not doing this. And I was like, okay. And I found most of the properties in Puerto Rico are listed on a website that looks like Craigslist. Huh. It's sure. literally, it's, it's the, the Craigslist of Puerto Rico. It's, I mean, Puerto Rico has Craigslist, but this, this one website is called classificados. If you go on it, you're not going to believe it. Cause it's literally has not been updated since probably the year 2000. Oh, wow. And um, yeah. And, uh, 
And so I was on there and I was looking through properties and I noticed this one property had terrible pictures. This is how I've, I've actually found three deals in my lifetime using this, just this strategy, three of the best deals I ever did. I, oh no, actually four, four of the best deals I've ever done. I found using this very strategy. You just look on the normal places that you would look for a property and then you, you, you look for the worst pictures you can find the absolute worst pictures you can find. You find those listings that have pictures that were taken terribly or there are mm -hmm. not a lot of pictures because you know there's something fundamentally wrong with that property to the point where they couldn't even care enough to take good pictures. And that was this property. They had a picture and it was clear that the, the, the pool was green. It was a weird angle. It was like almost like they were taking a picture of the ground instead of like an actual picture of the house. And, and then all of the lights were off in the house when they took picture, like the listing pictures were mm -hmm. all, the lights were all off. So the electricity oh, wasn't on. Yeah. So I'm like, what, why would anybody take pictures of a house this expensive in the ad? They said, this house is appraising for 1.4 and they listed it for a million dollars. And I was like, there's just something wrong. It also said that it was off market like that it already sold. It was on under contract, but I noticed that it'd been there for like a month and I'm like, that doesn't make sense either. Mm -hmm. So I called the broker as if I, he owed me money. Like I just called him <laughs> relentlessly. I texted him relentlessly. I emailed him relentlessly. I got another broker in Puerto Rico to call and text him for me. The guy told the other broker, it's not available. Somebody's already bought it. It's under contract. I, I said, I just don't believe it. Finally, I threw a Hail Mary pass on a Saturday. I sent him an email saying, I'm looking um, I'm looking at this property. I know you keep saying it's not available, but it's been listed now for three months and it keeps saying that it's under contract. It should have already closed. If it doesn't close, then I want you to call me first. On Monday, he wrote me and said, actually it just fell out of escrow on Friday. That's, that's beautiful. I know. And then the, the wheels just moved from there. And then I, you know, I got him to tell me a story. I told him a story back. You can use the story method, guys, for raising capital. You want to find out what your investor's story is, and then you want to speak your story to your investor so that you can relate to them, whatever it might be. Um, but I found out their story. I told him my story. I asked him, what does the bank, he, he revealed to me that this, this property has been foreclosed on. No one's ever made a payment on it for 11 years. It's been abandoned for two years. He goes, so yeah, the bank needs to get off their books. He started giving me even more information. The bank's in a lot of trouble. They need to get this property off their books. I said, well, what do they need? This is a key word because, and this is also key for dealing with investors, right? You want to ask the investors what they need, not what they want. And then you want to speak to what they need, not what they want, because they think they want one thing, but they really need another thing, right? So um, somebody could say to you, I want, I'll put this in this context and I'll get back to the story. Somebody could say to you, I want 20% return on investment, but what, that doesn't mean anything. Do they want 20% return on investment on sale? What do, what do they want? So what are you looking for? Well, actually, I want to make sure I cover these expenses every month. Okay. So you want cash flow. 
And the cash flow you want really equals 10% cash on cash return. So yes, we can do that by doing X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? And so you want to find out what they need, not what they want. Um, because what they want is irrelevant. Right. Um, and it was the same with the bank. What they wanted was irrelevant. What they needed was another story. They needed the the, the property off of their books. They needed someone who could perform, who could purchase, who could actually purchase the property. So he says they want a million dollars. And I said, that doesn't answer my question. What do they need? He goes, 875. <laughs> okay. And I go, he goes, that's what it's mortgaged for. And I go, okay. I offer 880. I just offered $5,000 more than what it was mortgaged for 11 years ago. Wow. <laughs> mortgaged for 11 years ago. So they could get it off their books. They come back to me and go, not only are we going to sell you the house, we'll finance it for you 90% of the purchase, 90% of the purchase price. I got them to finance it 90% of the purchase price. And I got the for it under, and then we got a new appraisal on it, and it came back at like $2.5 million after repair value. Yeah. So, guys, ladies, gentlemen, at the end of the day, you need to ask questions, tell a story, and uh, and then you know, and and find out what people need and then get them what they need. Because they can't, they can live with without with what they want, but they cannot live without what they need. So, and you want to be fair. You never, you're, you never look to rip off anybody. Never look to take advantage of everybody. You always want to be fair, play fair. Even if it hurts you a little bit, you always want to be fair. Because at the end mm -hmm. of the day, it's not about how much money we can make. It's about how we lived our lives and can we die happy. <laughs> Can right. we die knowing we did the right thing? So I'm, and, and a bank is just a bank, right? It's a, it's a, it's an entity. It's not a person, but mm -hmm. I wasn't even looking to rip off a bank. I was looking to get them what they need. So they would get me what I want. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. There you go. That's perfect. That is perfect. That is, that's an incredible story. <laughs> right. And it's all about story. the story. It is. And, and, you know, talk, you know, just shifting quickly about, about multifamily. When I go out and, um, you know, brokers send me a property or it's an off market deal or whatnot. My, the first question I ask them is what's the story here? Yeah. What's the yeah. story? Is it just some dude or a group that, you know what, they made a million dollars and now they want to sell it and make another million. Okay. It's not a compelling story. No. Right. Like I remember the first multifamily that my partner, Laura and I, we did was a 27 unit property in Leesburg, Florida. Now we're north of Orlando. Never heard of Leesburg before in my right. life. We went there, but the story was compelling. The woman is about 75 years old. Her husband died. He ran the property. The Her attorney and her property manager are, are, are stealing her blind. They didn't do any renovations to the property. Uh, upon sale, the... the um, the subsidies on the property that were going to get, they were going to be removed. So the property was being going to lose its subsidy. So it had a great story for us to come in and to help all the residents that were there, which were old Vietnam veterans and old war um, veterans and, and uh, people that were sick and, and, you know, just elderly people. So that story was, was compelling for us so that we can go and help the woman, the owner stop losing money. Right. right. And keep the people in their homes, because once the subsidy was gone, they would have to move out and they couldn't afford to move out. 
Right. They can't afford to do anything. So that was a that was a very compelling story for us on why there was great upside for us and how we could help the people stay in their homes and continue living without disrupting their lives. Right. And so, that, I mean, I love stories like that. I love those circumstances where you're doing right by someone or a community or or some cause while and then you can see the money through that lens right you don't mm -hmm. even need to talk about how much the return was i can see the money i can see where the value is we're going to get out these people we're taking advantage there is there is upside potential there's rehab opportunity um you know i'm having like a really hard time these days with these multifamily investors who are saying so much upside potential and then they show me a newly rehabbed building it's like mm -hmm. no I, I will you mentioned grant cardone who i represented for quite a few years and um and you know it was it was funny because i never subscribed to his brand of marketing or anything about him prior to working with him when i started working with him and and especially not so much him, but his team and really saw what they did and why they do what they do. It made a lot of sense why they had a ton of followers because he'll straight out tell you, no, I'm buying brand new properties. I'm buying brand new properties that are beautiful properties that places where people want to live a particular lifestyle and I'm going to run them very, very well. And that's the story. You know, it, it's not about helping a community. It's about providing mm -hmm. a mate, like buying the best property that's out there that's already done. There is no value add. He'll never tell you he's doing value add, right. you know, and that's okay too. You don't mm -hmm. always have to tell, but don't try to like, mm -hmm. it's like what Judge Judy mm -hmm. used to say, don't pee on my red mm -hmm. leg and tell me it's raining. when you're, <laughs> you're rehabbing a property and there's nothing to rehab. At right. least be honest about what you're doing. It, 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 and true, it's like Trump, right? Trump yeah. said, look, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm not going to take an old crappy building and make it nice. I'm going to tear it down and then I'm going to put luxury. I'm going to make it a place where people of the highest, you know, financial status yeah. will want to live and will be right. happy right. to pay ridiculous amounts of money because of the service, because oh. of the, the, the quality, right? But it's still a story. You're you're in Boca. So do you mm -hmm. know Frank McKinney? Yes. He's a perfect example of that kind mm -hmm. of story. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. he loves to play Robin Hood. He yep. builds beautiful luxury mansions so he can give money to the poor in Haiti. Right. I mean, like, you know, you can you you don't you just have to look to the for the story in your own situation. Mm -hmm. Don't but don't start with the returns. Don't try to, you know, wedge in a story because you think it's the story people want to hear. Tell the actual story. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about the story. Right. And <laughs> and like you said, you know, don't you know, especially when you're going after, you know, savvy investors, right? Mm -hmm. People who are who've owned businesses, uh, they, they, they have multimillion dollar corporations and companies and they've done business and whatnot. They can smell bullshit a mile away. <laughs> You know? <laughs> and, and 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 you know me, right? I'm 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 this New Yorker kid, whatever. I call it I call it the way it is, right? People can smell bullshit a mile away. It's funny. No, when, I was kidding. You know, my wife is, is an artist. She 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 painted Yoda for me back there. So um whenever we go to these different art galleries and you know, you see these people walking around, oh, I love that painting, and the oh, the the, the struggle in the artist is, is apparent in the in the in the lines and the and so we walk up to the galleries and I'm like, do you smell it? 
She goes, do you smell it? She goes, what, what, what are you smelling? I go, the bullshit. You can smell the bullshit from out here. It's already starting, right? So people can smell bullshit from a mile away. And yeah. if you try to bullshit them with your investments and what you're trying to do and, and, and all that stuff, it's going to come back at you. You're going to be known in the industry as a bullshitter, as a bullshit artist. And you're not going to be able to, to raise capital. You're not going to be able to do anything because you've got that stigma attached to you. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, look, we, we've had a lot of fun here. We've got eight <laughs> minutes and I, and I want to just talk one or two more things about actual capital raising. Is that cool? I know. Sorry. We went on a total trajectory, but at the end of the day, this is, it, it's all the same stuff. You need to tell a great story to your investors. Oh, and by the way, I will say this too. You got to back up with the story you're telling. It's got to be a true story mm -hmm. and you have to perform. If right. you don't provide a before, during, and after investor experience that is second to none, mm -hmm. then you, you might as well just put yourself in jail <laughs> right. no, I, or I, sue absolutely. yourself because <laughs> mm -hmm. that's what's right. going to happen. And, 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 you know, sometimes your, your, your business plan, your business model goes sideways. You know, we right. were, we just went through an entire year, year and a half of a pandemic of a shutdown where, Hey, tenants don't have to pay, but you, the landlord, you got, you got to continue paying your mortgage. So you got to figure that out. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, Lord knows, you know, I don't know if you can see it. You know, this used to be all <laughs> black and whatnot. You know, I used to have no gray, but you know, I, I didn't sleep at all last year because of, of the situations that we were in. That was a I lot of people. Yeah. And right. you just have to, you have to communicate with your investors and communicating with your investors is the way to go. Right. And, 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 and if you're open and you're straight up and you're honest with the investors, people will understand because everybody was going through it. Right. 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 And, and I told my investors, as soon as the shutdown happened, I said, listen, I said to the way I'm protecting you and your money is by protecting the property and the income. So right. we're not going to do distributions for X, Y, Z amount of time until we're able to understand where we're going. But we're, you know, and that's for us to protect. I don't want to drain the, the accounts and then not have any money because, you know, who knows who's going to pay or whatnot. But I, I find that as long as you're completely transparent with your investors, you know, tell them the good, the bad and the ugly, then, then they're understanding. Right. As, as long as you're open and honest with them, right? And 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 you're and you're 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 forward thinking and and you just lay it all out. They're, they're well, this pretty actually, understanding. This actually you you speak to another great point actually, which is that if you are if if you vet your investors beforehand and you make sure that your investors are proper for your deal because you're going into a business relationship they're bringing money you're bringing time and energy and effort and knowledge, which quite frankly, way outweighs that money. You can get money anywhere. You can't mm -hmm. get all of these things necessarily anywhere, right? You can't get great deals necessarily anywhere. There's deals out there, but you can't always get the greatest deal with the greatest operator with the, you know, with the most knowledge and, and the, and the systems and the processes that will work. Right. So this is valuable. And I think, I think what people lose sight of is they see the money and they 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 weight it equally. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. So when you're vetting your investors, you need to make sure that when those tough times come and you communicate, hey, we're having a tough time, they're not going to become these, you know, narcissistic right. jerks that just make your life miserable and, and threaten to sue you and try to, mm -hmm. you really need to make sure that that money that you're getting from that investor is worth mm -hmm. that trade-off. That's right. Um, and so that when you do come with that messaging and you better come with that messaging of, hey, we're having a tough time, 
Mm-hmm. And here's what's going to happen next. Or here's mm-hmm. what we're planning to do next that they will go. Okay. I understand. I get it. Cause if you right. don't do that step way back in the day, when, when you're in your honeymoon relationship, you're going to have a mm-hmm. really bad time when you're giving them bad news. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all so, of you are going to give your investors bad news at some point in time. You will not have been in the business long enough. If that does not happen, you, right. that will happen to you at some point at some time in your real estate investing career. Right. Yep. Absolutely. If you're in it long enough, it's going to yeah. happen. It's just it's, it has part, of the, it's yeah. part of the game. It's yeah. part of the game. You got to be prepared for it. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be loss of money in some place here and there. Our job is to mitigate all that risk and all that loss mm-hmm. as best as we mm-hmm. can. Like you said, with our knowledge, our experience, our effort, our, our work ethic and, and, and our transparency. Correct. Yeah. All right. So we got three minutes. What are some things that newbies should really look at when they're raising capital? Okay. So to me, there are seven, to me, I, I, I teach about building a machine. I call it the, I, my particular brand is rockstar money machine. You need to build a machine. So Mm -hmm. in that machine, to me, there are seven pillars. And of those seven pillars, there's 21 steps. Every single step's important. When you're thinking this isn't that important, you're wrong. It's important, just like the steering wheel to a car. The car will not run if it does not have that steering wheel. You need all four tires, need the transmission, you need the steering wheel. You know, maybe you can drive the car okay if you don't have the rear view mirror, right? And I equate that rear view mirror to, um, say, like uh, investor, you know, gifts. (laughs) Like that's about it. Everything else you need to do, you need to have your corporate structure right. You need to make sure that you work out the numbers so that you're making them a proper return. You're not just telling them what they want to hear or what you think they want to hear. Um, you, you need all of it together. Do go in with eyes wide open. Get yourself. I'm not practicing securities law anymore, but my old law firm still exists and is, is amazing. And get yourself a great securities attorney. I used to work for crowdfunding lawyers. Um, now I just do advisory on raising capital, but get that going and make sure you make the before, during, and after investing process for your investors completely seem like a dream, like they're walking in the Disneyland of investing. That's what you want to make the experience like. So they don't have to, they just have to ask their financial advisor, their CPA, or their attorney, should I do this? And the, there they go, yeah, you should do this. They sent it to you this way. They did this. They did all, they checked all the boxes. They got a experienced securities attorney. They filed all the right paperwork. They gave you all the right information and they're providing it to you in a, you know, a format that's easy to understand and put together, make it easy for you, make it easy for your investors and you'll, you'll be okay. Awesome. Jillian, thank you so much for being here. I'm definitely going to oh, have you back you. on the show because there's so much more for us to talk about. Oh, I, think I would just love to. The this surface. is so fun. And next time I won't have like lines across my face. <laughs> That's awesome. Why don't you tell our, our listeners how they can reach you to get some consulting for capital raising? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You guys all go to privatemoneyrockstar.com. You can check me out there. Um, and also feel free to friend me on Facebook. I, I uh, am happy to chat with you on Facebook. Awesome. Jillian, thank you so much for taking time out of your thank busy, busy you. schedule. This was so much fun. Thanks it a bunch. Was.
Thank you. And um, I'm going to hit you up to, you know, go interview my mom and, and, and write, write her story down. I would love to do that. I, I, I'm not even joking. Get we'll, woman and I will get like, you know, we'll get five hours on a zoom call. I'll get it all out. Awesome. <laughs> Cause, awesome. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll just keep asking her questions until I get all the answers. Oh, and, 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 and you will get a kick out of her. She is a, <laughs> she is a feisty, fiery woman. She's 86 years old and she, she still gives me shit. I love it. I love it. No, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. Nitsan, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jillian. Travelers, it was awesome having you here as well. Thanks for being on the show. Stay tuned next week where we're going to have an awesome, awesome multifamily syndicator who's doing tons and tons of deals. And we're going to talk to him about how he's doing it and what he's looking and how he's raising capital as well. Jillian, thanks again for being on the show. And um, you can watch us and listen to Previous shows on all these different broadcasting podcast stations on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, YouTube, all these different places. Check us out. Go to YouTube to the Traveling Investor YouTube page. Subscribe, like it as well. And go to Etsy.com and look for the Traveling Investor store and get some Traveling Investor swag for the holidays. All right. And by the way, whenever you buy something from uh, our Etsy store, 10%. Of, our, of the profits goes to uh, different organizations that help with sex trafficking and child uh, trafficking. So go in there and let's make a difference together. I'm Nitsan Mosri, The Traveling Investor. This has been another session of The Traveling Investor live Q&A. I look forward to seeing you guys next week somewhere on Spaceship Earth. Take care. Be well.